Hello everyone, and welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and today we're going to continue our tour of the Outer Planes, as presented in the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition book, Manual of the Planes. Now before we begin today's topic, uh, just a quick announcement. This episode will be going up on uh, July 22nd. And right now there is a sale on drive through stuff, uh, drive formerly drive through RPG. Uh, this is the website where I sell my uh, many of my products through, and they are having their Christmas in July sale from now until the end of the month. So if there is a point of insanity game studio product that you've been having your eye on, go take a look. And many other companies are also participating in this sale. Uh, everything from your larger companies like Wizards of the Coast, uh, Piazzo Publishing, White Wolf, down to a lot of your independent uh, game companies are a part of the sale. So go check it out. You know, even if it's not just for a point of insanity product, maybe you'll see something else there from another company that you might be interested in. But on today, today's topic, and that is our next stop on our tour of the Outer Realms. And today we're going to be taking a look at the Happy Hunting Grounds. Now, as far as the historical inspirations for this plane, unfortunately, there's not a lot out there. It seems to be based on a belief by some Native American tribes, specifically the ones who lived in the Great Plains. Now, there's some debate as to whether the term Happy Hunting Grounds was used by Native American tribes or if it was not necessarily an, an invention, but a term that uh, Europeans came up with. Now, the term Happy Hunting Grounds did appear in the novel by James Fenimore Cooper, The Last of the Mohicans. The character, Chingachgook, uh, spoke of it after the death of his son, Unkis. He said, Why do my brothers mourn? Why do my daughters weep? That a young man has gone to the happy hunting grounds. That a chief has filled his time with honor. Now, there is one historical reference I can find to it. Uh, the Lakota medicine man named Many Horses made reference to it as well. Now, he was part of a religious movement called the Ghost Dance, and it was active in the later part of the 1800s. Now, they believed that by performing these ceremonies, they could make the white man go away so that the tribes could return to earth and live in peace and prosperity. So they did one of these ghost dances, hoping that it would drive away a group of uh, white soldiers who were camped nearby. Now, when the ritual failed to make the soldiers go away, many horses spoke the following. I will follow the white man's trail. I will make him my friend, but I will not bend my back to his burdens. I will be cunning as a coyote. I will ask him to help me understand his ways. Then I will prepare the way for my children. 
Maybe they will outrun the white man in his own shoes. There are but two ways for us. One leads to hunger and death. The other leads to where the poor white man lives. Beyond is the happy hunting ground where the white man cannot go. Now, one possible origin for this name might not come from uh, any Native Americans, but may have actually been how to uh, Christian missionaries viewed Native American beliefs. Now, if you go back to episode 111, my friend James and I talked about running a campaign using historical Native America as, as an inspiration. Now, part of the problem with talking about Native American religious beliefs is that Native Americans are a diverse people. As we mentioned in that particular episode, there's about 600 or so tribes that are officially recognized in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Now, if you extend that to include Central America and South America, then you can see there's a lot of different tribes covering a wide variety of environments from the Inuit, the uh, Native Americans who lived in the far northern regions of the U.S. and Canada, down to the tribes that lived in the, the jungles of South America, down to the, the very tip of South America. So a lot of different tribes. There's going to be a lot of different beliefs. And if you've ever read the Native American section of the Legends and Lore or Deities and Demigods, they do overgeneralize, and I remember in the uh, second edition Legends and Lore book, again, they mention that the reason that they are using more generic deities as opposed to specific ones is because there are hundreds and hundreds of different tribes. So it's it would be difficult to make a book that would accurately describe it. I mean, you couldn't devote an you know an entire chapter to Native American religion if that was the approach you were taking. But you could very easily write an entire Dungeons and Dragons book that did accurately detail, you know, every single known Native American tribe. And that would actually uh, be a series of books probably than a you know, than one big book. But also we have to understand how these missionaries may have viewed Native American beliefs. It is likely that many Native American tribes, their religions were based on animism, or the belief that everything, from a rock to a human being, had a spirit. Now, it is also possible that a lot of tribes, their spiritual beliefs were so thoroughly ingrained in their day-to-day -day life and culture that they may not have had a separate word for religion. 
So this would lead some people to believe that these native tribes didn't have a religion. And that would, of course, be very false because, you know, since their, their beliefs were so ingrained to their everyday life, well, they didn't have a need for a separate word to describe religion or spirituality. Now, the afterlife, as viewed by some tribes, was seen more as a continuation of this life as opposed to an end. So, in that case, that's where the happy hunting grounds may have came from. And it's this idea that when you die, you move on to a little bit better world where life is going to be more or less the same, only food is plentiful and a person would have all he needed and all he desired. So in some tribes, there may not have really been a concept of reward and punishment in the afterlife as there is in many other religions. Again, as I was saying before, some Native American tribes, their beliefs were so intertwined with day-to-day -day life, there was no separate word for religion. So it is possible, though, that Christian missionaries, again, with their belief of reward or punishment, heaven or hell in the afterlife, may have interpreted this concept of the happy hunting grounds as an afterlife where a person would have everything he needed, just as if he were in heaven. But again, this isn't necessarily accurate because going to the happy hunting grounds was seen more as a continuing state of life as opposed to a reward for good behavior. So how does Dungeons and Dragons define the happy hunting grounds? Now in first edition, they also called it the Beast Lands. And this is the title that I believe they've kept with the other editions. Probably because they felt that it fit the idea that Jeff Grubb wrote down better. And again, as they moved towards second edition, they were trying to remove a lot of religious symbolism and religious names from their, uh, from their work. Again, just kind of a, an after effect of the satanic panic. But in the way Jeff Grubb described it, Beastlands is a bit more fitting. He pictured it as a plane aligned to good tending towards chaos. So a chaotic good would be the nature of this plane. It had three layers. Trigala, Brux, and Karasuthra. Now the first layer, Kiragala, is connected to the river Oceanus. And you could think of it kind of like the river Styx in that it flows through several different plains. However, unlike the river Styx, Oceanus is just a normal river. If you fall into it, you're not going to forget your life. Well, in the first layer, the it is lit by a midday sun. And it's described as having a very, very diverse climate, where you might go from a desert to a forest 
emerge in a jungle. And then once you get out of the jungle, you might find yourself in a, an Arctic environment. Brooks is lit by two rising or setting suns, depending on whether you consider yourself an, an optimist or a pessimist. Other than that, it's described to be very similar to uh, Krigoop, only, again, you're seeing two suns in the sky that are either rising or setting. The third layer, Karasuthra, is described as being lit by a night sky with stars that wander in a way that defines logic. And many dangerous monsters are said to live here. Now, the Happy Hunting Grounds are inhabited mainly by special versions of real-world animals, like birds, fish, reptiles, bear, coyotes, wolves, you name it. However, these animals all have exceptional intelligence and even have some magical abilities. As they described in the Manual of the Plains, Sometimes you might have a, an animal with the spellcasting abilities of a up to like a 15th or 16th level druid, or some might even have the spellcasting abilities of up to a 10th level wizard and an 8th level cleric. And then there's other versions as well. But of course, those last two versions I mentioned are going to be uh, the most exceptional of these creatures. They're also tougher than their real-world counterparts, having better hit dice as well as a little bit better armor class, and they even have magic resistance. However, it's said that these, these uh, abilities and these powers only exist when they are in the happy hunting grounds. So if they were to go to a prime, prime material plane, they would lose their magical abilities and assuming they would also lose their ability to speak as well as their better combat abilities. Another inhabitant they mention are the Mortai. And these are said to look like large clouds made up of a collection of chaotic good spirits. They can cast legend lore, so they can be very helpful if you need something identified, and they're also said to be fond of playing jokes on travelers. As far as I can tell, there's no historical or mythological roots for these creatures. So probably just something that uh, Jeff Grubb invented. And their exact purpose and nature is never fully explained. So that's actually kind of intriguing about them is, again, this mysterious these mysterious beings that exist for no purpose other than to exist, I guess. I would almost kind of see them as the Willis from uh, Star Wars, or maybe if you're into Tolkien, you might remember there's that character of Tom Bombadil, who he's there, he's powerful, but it's never really quite made clear who he is or why he exists. Now, in the Manual of the Plains, they do mention that most of the inhabitants of the Beastlands see other powers or gods or deities as temporary visitors at best. 
Now, uh, Jeff Grubb did not mention any historical deities, but some later additions did place uh, not only fictional deities, but also real-world deities in here as well. The one that stood out to me was Maliki. And any Forgotten Realms fans out there, you probably recognize her as the goddess that many rangers worship. Well, she actually has a real-world counterpart, and that is a Finnish goddess who was the goddess of hunting and forests. It was said that it was good to be on her pleasant side because, well, she was the goddess of hunting in the forest, so if your livelihood depends on the forest, yes, you want to stay in her good graces. She was also said to be a healer as well, and she could even help people who knew enough to be able to call on her. They also mention the Sailey Court makes the occasional appearance here. Now, the Sailey Court is the fairy court ruled by Queen Titania and King Oberon. So any William Shakespeare fans out there probably recognize them from uh, the play A Midsummer Night's Dream, though I understand they also do appear in some other works of medieval and renaissance literature. Now this actually got me to thinking there is a good supplement that might come and help come in handy if you want to use the happy hunting grounds in your campaign. Every now and then I mention a supplement from basic Dungeons and Dragons called Tall Tales of the Wee Folk. This was part of a series called Creature Crucible. It was a series of, of books that were designed to give you some inspiration for how to uh, use various monsters as player characters. Now, Tall Tales of the Wee Folk gave you rules for running various woodland creatures, like treants and various fey creatures like pixies, and leprechauns. There is one race in there, though, that is quite interesting and would be very much at home in the Beastlands, and that is a race called the Shahal. They're basically owls that are about the same size as a halfling, only they gain the ability to cast clerical spells, and they can also use magic items that are normally only of use to clerics. Now, the uh, Manual of the Plains does mention a couple other fictional powers that are uh, called this place home. It is listed as being the home for the animal generals from Oriental Adventures. The Manual of the Plains also places Skerit, the god of the centaurs, here as well. Finally, they also have this as being home for the Cat Lord. Now, I don't recall him being mentioned in 2nd edition, and I don't know if he appeared in any editions from 3rd to 5th, but he was actually a pretty cool-sounding character in the 1st uh, edition. And as the name implies, he is the Lord of Cats. It's not really made clear as to whether he's some sort of lesser deity, 
Uh, though I believe later fiction does say that it's more of a hereditary title that's uh, passed on. Now, the Cat Lord is interesting because not only can he take the form of anything from a house cat to a saber-toothed tiger, he also has the abilities of a thief, which should not be surprising as cats are usually seen as being very graceful and stealthy and agile. But he also has the abilities of a monk as well. So what are some ways that we can use the Happy Hunting Grounds in a campaign? Now, if you are playing a, an evil-aligned party, they could make some interesting trips into here. Perhaps they need to find an ability, they need to find and hunt down some of the various native creatures in this plane. So they would have to deal with you know, foxes and bears and wolves and eagles that can all cast spells at them. Now, why might they want to do this? Well, perhaps they need some of the parts from these animals to use to make powerful magic items. Or perhaps they belong to some sort of cult or uh, evil organization where going to the, the beast lands to make a hunting trip is considered part of a like a rite of passage or an initiation ritual. Now, some later editions of D&D did say that the Beastlands is home to something called the Library of All Knowledge. And this is the home of two gods from the Forgotten Realms setting, Milil, the god of poetry, and Denir, the god of knowledge and art. So I think that's intriguing because maybe your characters have to make a pilgrimage to this library to try to find some lost or obscure information that's necessary for whatever quest they're currently going on. And as you might recall from the episode on Nirvana, it said that the uh, Chinese god also has a a library in Nirvana that's said to contain a collection of lost knowledge. Another interesting way to work the Happy Hunting Grounds into your campaign might be to assume that there was some sort of lost civilization that sprung up here. Now, I don't think this idea is very far-fetched because in other parts of the Manual of the Plains, like when we were talking about the Nine Hells, uh, Jeff Grubb wrote that there were structures in the Nine Hells that were there before the devils arrived. And it was, I believe, in the eighth layer of hell, there's a palace whose dungeon is so vast that, well, not even the devils are aware of how you know, how far and how uh, big it is. And I think there's a few other places where he suggests that there was some other civilization on these plains before it came to be inhabited by whatever gods and deities were inhabiting it now. So if you did decide to use this angle, your characters might have to try to get to this lost civilization perhaps to look for a lost, powerful artifact. Or again, this theme of, of hidden knowledge, like 
we see in the library of all knowledge. And of course, the various animals that inhabit the beast lands might not be too keen on a group of humans and elves and dwarves tromping through their domain, so they'll need to deal with them as well. Now, of course, killing them would probably not be a very good idea. So you may want to try to find a way to either outwit or befriend these, these animals. So maybe these animals that are preventing you from entering this, this lost city, maybe they might have you go on another quest for them before they let you pass. Now, I mentioned before that it's said in the, the Manual of the Plains that the spellcasting and intelligence of these animals only applies when on this plane. But if you did want to allow one of your players to be a spellcasting animal, I could see maybe having it as their exceptional, where they can still use their spellcasting abilities, it's just that, you know, they're exceptional. They can use it outside of the beast lands, where most of their kin can only use it if they're on their home plane. Well, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. It's set a little bit shorter than uh, the other ones I've done so far, and that's just because, unfortunately, they don't really give you a lot to work with in Manual of the Plains. And as I was saying before, this concept of the happy hunting grounds we from Native American religions and beliefs we really don't have much information to go on with that. But hopefully I did give you some ideas that you might find useful. Maybe not in just the beast lands, but maybe you can find a way to apply it to other parts of your campaign. So with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Have a good evening or morning or afternoon. Whatever it is, wherever you are. And happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.